So good to gather together to worship Jesus. Thank you for being here, especially if you're a guest or you're a visitor. Um, if you came to Easter and you're back, welcome back. We're glad to have you. And um, my name's Joe, one of the pastors here. Good morning to those of you joining us online as well. Glad that you're here. Today's a big day. We begin a brand new series. Uh, we're doing an in-depth study of the New Testament letter of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to spend the first, in the next five months in this in this uh, beautiful uh, epistle of the Apostle Paul to the, the new church in Thessalonica. Um, we're, we're calling this series Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World because those, those are really the themes of First Thessalonians. It's really the themes of, of both Thessalonian letters. Paul wrote them too. We're just going to um, do the first one here. But that's really what Thessalonians is all about. It's about how the world is going to continue to move towards hostility towards God. It's not, moving, it's not moving closer to God, it's moving away from God. And that's, that's the picture that scripture paints of what's going to happen. And uh, the world is getting increasingly hostile, not, not just towards God and towards the church and towards Christians and Christianity, but just in general. The, the, the world is getting more hostile, more, more churned up. But the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church to say, we're not without hope. Even though things out there are hostile, with the Lord, there's hope. And, and so um, the answer to hostility is to understand the hope that you have in Jesus, let Jesus in you produce a holiness that comes through you. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next five months is, is the, the difficulty it is of living in the world. This new church, this Thessalonian church, was birthed out of difficulty. And Paul writes them a letter explaining the hope that they can have in Jesus and how the answer to hostility is to live a life of holiness. It's, it really is a beautiful, encouraging letter. It gives us a picture of what the church should be about, of what church life should look like for you and I. It's going to tell us what to believe and then how to behave because of what you believe. And so there's both of that. You've got good theology and good um, uh, behavior, uh, uh, conduct uh, scriptures in here. And all sprinkled throughout the five chapters of First Thessalonians is the theme of Jesus is coming back. The return of Jesus. It's, it's big time on the mind of Paul as he writes this letter. Every chapter ends with Paul mentioning the return of Christ. It's interesting. It's like there was no, when he wrote a letter, there was no verses in chapter division. So it would be artificial to say it was on his mind as he ended the chapter because they didn't have chapters. But it definitely was on his mind. It comes out each time of our five chapters. And so um, we're going to talk about that end times and how's the end going to go and what's it going to be like when Christ returns. It's all sprinkled throughout First Thessalonians here. And so we're going to take our time. We're going to go through um, verse at a time, sometimes word at a time, because words have meaning and significance. Um, we'll dive in this morning. We'll get three verses deep, and then we'll call time out. We'll stop, because that's as far as we're going to get today. We're going to give you some background as to how did we get this letter, and who is Thessalonians. I'm going to encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday. And, and, and we, we, we make it easy because we put all the scriptures up on the screens. And that's easy, especially if we're doing like a, a topical message where we're jumping around and looking at different... But there's not going to be a lot of jumping the next five months. We're just going to open up the First Thessalonians and camp out there. And so t to me, my, my prayer would be that this book 
would be stamped on your heart over the next five months, that God's word would shape you as you seek to understand it and and digest it and own it and then live it out. And so I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles um, to open up the Thessalonians and we'll stay there. Um, And so here we go. That's all intro. Ready to go? First Thessalonians chapter one, verse one, we'll start and then we'll do a little bit of background. Okay. It starts like this, gives three names of the authors, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy. We'll talk about who those three guys are. This is, and this is a typical greeting of a letter, right? If I was going to write a letter, right, I was going to write a letter, uh, dear Scott, right, I'd, I'd write the address and, and, and I'd write, you know, a, a welcome and identify the author. We kind of put that at the end, but in New Testament times, they would put it in the beginning, who is the author, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace, right? Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot in there. We're going to spend most of the sermon in, in there. But I want, to, I want to give you some background here as to how this church came to be. And um, it's time for scribbles and doodles with Joe again, all right? So I know you've been waiting for the whiteboard or the smartboard to make its appearance. And so um, uh, Paul started this church on his second missionary journey. Um, Paul went three different times around kind of the world as it was known at that time and and started churches. And so on his second missionary journey, okay, um, let me see here, all right, uh, he goes up into, this is Asia Minor, this is modern day Turkey. Um, He goes up and visits the churches that he started in his first missionary journey, comes up here, was about to go north, and, and God gave him a vision. In the scriptures, it's called the Macedonian vision. Um, this is Greece. All, all this is Greece, right? And God gave him a vision of a guy over here saying, come on over here, Paul, and help us. So he goes over here. He goes to Philippi. We have that letter. He later st- he starts a church at Philippi, wrote them a letter. It's the book of Philippians. He gets run out of town in Philippi. It doesn't end well for him. He travels a hundred miles. He goes through two little towns here and then comes to Thessalonica right here. And that's where our letter takes place. Um, he, he doesn't spend very long there. Anybody, anybody know offhand for a thousand Bible trivia points, uh, how long he stays in Thessalonica and starts his three weeks, three weeks. He's there. And and you're going to see, we're going to read it. He gets run out of town again. And, and so, um, which is just, it's, it's funny to me in, in that here we are, um, a week and a day from now, May 2nd, keep praying, we, everything goes well. We close on this building, buying this building, saying we're here. We know we're buying a building that's already not going to be large. Of course, we don't want to just be a mega thing. We want to plant the gospel. So we know we're going to plant churches. So we're starting to think and talk about what's it going to look like to plant in the next two to three years. It's going to take us to plant a church. And Paul's like, yeah, it took me three weeks, dude. Come on. Like, and I'm this, I think he would cut, he'd laugh at us and be like, it's going to take you two years to plant a church? Right, and these him and these two guys, these three guys come into town, and they talk about Jesus for three weeks. And God shows up. You're going to see as we go through. He says, "We didn't we didn't just talk. 
We showed up in power. They walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's read about it. Let's read about it. It's found in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17 is when Paul goes on this second missionary journey and starts the church, right? And so um, uh, as you're turning to Acts 17, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Thessalonica, okay? Um, it was, it's named uh, Thessalonica after Alexander the Great's half-sister, Thessaloniki. And, um, and she was married to one of Alexander's generals. Uh, Alexander gave him that town to manage, that city to manage, to lead. And uh, it got named Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, um, after his half-sister. It, it was a Roman colony. Uh, it was a political center. Um, it, it's right on uh, a seaport here. Oh. Happened again, my sleeve caught that on the Aegean Sea. Um, and so um, it, it, was, it was right in the middle of a major, like, dang it. Um, <laughs> it's been a while, I'm out of practice, right? On this east west thoroughfare, uh, it was about 200,000 uh, person city, it's a big city. Um, Greek and Roman gods, Pantheon is like all over the place, uh, uh, so much so. Um, that Paul in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, um, unlike his other letters, in, in these letters, 1 Thessalonians, he does not give any Old Testament quotes. Doesn't quote the Old Testament at all. Why? He's contextualizing to his audience, which is a good thing for you and I to do today. When you're going to talk about Jesus, to contextualize to who you're talking to, know your audience and approach them in a way that's going to work with them. This is a, a, a town full of of pagan Greeks and Romans. And so he's not going to start quoting a bunch of Old Testament scriptures in, in his letters to, they don't, they don't understand that, right? So um, Acts chapter 17 um, is where the church is born. And so let's just, let's just read that. Um, you're going to see, though, it's going to sound like the opposite of what I just said. There were some very small Jewish pockets in Thessalonica. And so Paul did have a strategy. This is another tip for us today in how to do evangelism and how to start a church. There was a strategy to step one, step two, step three. Here was Paul's step one. Here's what he did. Acts 17.1 says this. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, that's the two little towns that were between Philippi and Thessalonica. It's about 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica, 100 miles. He goes through those two little towns. He came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. So enough Jews were there, there was a synagogue. As usual, here's his strategy. Paul goes first to, and it makes sense, let's start with at least the God-fearing people that might want to hear the message, right? So he goes into the synagogue, and on, here it is, three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the scriptures. Sabbath day is what? For us today, it's Sunday, but back then, Saturday. So three weeks in a row, he goes to the synagogue, opens up the scriptures, the Old Testament, right? I mean, didn't have the New Testament yet, it's being written, uh, uh, and starts talking to them in the Old Testament about, it says this, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, right? So this is taking place about 48, 49 AD. So about 13 years, 15 years at the most 
after Jesus, right? And so it still would have been very fresh um, in their minds, this, this thing that happened down in Jerusalem, this rabbi that was killed on the cross, and he's saying, no, 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 it was not just a rabbi, it was the Messiah. The whole Old Testament was waiting for him, and he was proving to them that that was Jesus, right? Some of them, it says, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But, verse 5, the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city, right? So let's just pause here and say this. When you talk about Jesus, he is always going to be divisive. Jesus is. There's going to be people that will listen and hear and receive, and there's going to be people that will want to start a riot and that will come after you and that will accuse you of being hypocritical or closed-minded or self-righteous. Oh, your God's the only way. Whatever label they want to put on you. Jesus is very divisive. We can love and we're going to do this, serve this community, love this community, be a part of this community. I told you we want to build a bridge into the community that's strong enough to bear the way of the gospel. But we know as soon as you start talking about Jesus, Jesus is divisive. And it's always been. 15 years after, I mean, Jesus in the flesh, Jesus in person was divisive. Jesus 15 years after Jesus rose again from the grave is divisive. Jesus 2,000 years later is divisive. And some said yes, and some said no. And so they started a riot. They attacked Jason's house. Jason is the guy who just hosted this missionary team that came into town, right? Paul and, and Sylvanus and Timothy come into town, and they stay at Jason's house. He's like, you guys stay at my house. And they're doing this. It's basically a three-week mission trip. You ever gone on a mission trip? You ever gone to another nation or another country or maybe even our nation? just gone and served? This is what a three-week missions trip that births the church. They go into Jason's house. They search for them. They bring them out to the public assembly. They didn't find them. They drag Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, I love this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. <laughs> it's like, what an awesome thing to be said about you, what you're doing. Right? Now, they got it all backwards. They didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know that actually what the message of Jesus does is takes the world that's already upside down and actually turns it right side up, right? In their mind, they're turning the world upside down. But all that the gospel does is bring things back into alignment to the way God wants it. But, but what, when I was reading it this week and studying this passage, I'm like, oh, Lord, let that be true of next community church, that we would be known as a church that's just turning the world upside down for you, right? They think it's upside down, but we're really putting it right side back up. It goes on and says, Jason um, welcomed them, and they're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, and they're, they're trying to make up this, this story how they're, they're rebelling against Rome, right, saying there's another king, Jesus, and so they're stretching the truth about what the mission of the gospel was. Verse 8, the crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset, and so they took a security bond from Jason and the others and released them. So they made them pay money so that, hey, you got to tell us this is not going to happen again. So they made them pay money that this would go away. They set Jason and his buddies free. 
verse 10 says, As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went to the synagogue of the Jews, da, 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 and it goes on. And that's it. That's the end of it. Ten verses. That's the start of the Thessalonian church. Paul, having to make a midnight run out of town after being there three weeks. And out of that, we have Thessalonians. Can, can you jump back to, the, to, to this screen? So what ends up happening here is, um, give me a second. What ends up happening here is, um, here he is in Thessalonica. He gets run out of town. They go to Berea. Um, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 17. The Bereans became known as the people that loved their Bible because they, Paul went into town, started telling them stuff, and they're like, let me look this up, make sure this is right, which is why you should do this too. You should bring your Bible and make sure everything I'm saying is right. Sometimes I'm wrong. I mean, not usually, but my wife says sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> and so, be Berean is the motto, right? He leaves Berea, comes down here to Athens, Right? Stays there a little bit and then moves over here to Corinth. In Corinth, he is, I mean, he's just, his heart is for this Thessalonian church. He was only there three weeks and he starts wondering how to go. Like, remember, he got ran out of town. He's like, I wonder how they're doing. And, and so, what does he do? He writes them a letter. He writes them a letter and he sends it back. And that is the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And that's what we're going to study the next five months. Paul's letter back to them, this new church. And so, back to 1 Thessalonians 1.1. If you can throw up verse 1.1. It, it starts off with three names, right? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Um, it, Paul's the author. This is the missionary team. He's kind of writing as the uh, representative of the team. Paul, I can't just go on and... Assume you know Paul, and they can't just go on and not stop and talk about Paul, who used to be Saul. If you know the story of Paul, he wasn't always Paul the missionary. He was Saul the Christian killer, the Christian persecutor who hated Jesus and hated the followers of Jesus and would go from town to town to drag them out of your house and actually kill you for following Jesus until God grabbed his heart struck him blind on the road to Damascus, chained, made him do a complete 180, and Paul went from Saul, the Christian killer, to Paul, the Christian maker now in sharing Jesus. And, and so I just want to say this. This is, you've got to know that there is no person in your life that is so far gone that God cannot grab their heart, right? So think of the, per, the family member, that wants nothing to do with you and your Jesus church and your gospel and all of that, the, the, your, your co-worker, your neighbor, right? Somebody that you just think they're so far gone. And, and Paul is a reminder to us that there's nobody that is so far gone that God can't grab their heart. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up sowing seeds of love to them and sharing the truth of them. Don't give up. Then you have Silvanus, who's actually known by Silas. Um, Silvanus is his Latin name. Silas becomes a helper with Paul. He joins Paul on this second missionary journey um, and goes with him around. We, al we also know that Silas, interesting, another Bible trivia note, is that Peter 
Um, the, Peter wrote two letters, First Peter, Second Peter, but, but Silas actually was the penmanship person. Uh, what do you call that, the person that writes the letters? Scribe. It was the scribe that wrote Peter's words down and says at the end of Peter. So that's this Silas was very involved in ministry. And then you have Timothy. Um, Timothy is uh, Paul's son in the faith. Right, his 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 kind of protege. Uh, Paul's been mentoring him, and and it's a reminder to, and it comes up all throughout this epistle, is that being a Christian means having others in your life that you're doing life with, and a mentor mentoree relationship, and and so again, this letter is going to paint a picture of how the church should be in a hostile world, and here's what you need each other. We need each other. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian and make it, right? And, and so he's, he's addressing this to the church in Thessalonians, right? The, ch- the church of the Thessalonians. And, and I, I just, I want to real quick, because this is so important, because we read this, and it's so easy to think church, because we're, our minds are so Americanized that we think this, right? We think the Thessalonian church, and we think this. And this was... This was not even close to what Paul meant when he said, he says church, right? It's, it's the Greek word ek and then klesia, okay? Ekklesia. Um, it's, this is a preposition meaning out from, and this is a verb from the ver- word kaleo, which means to call. You, you put these two words together, and it's the called out from ones, that's what the church is, the ones who are called out. And, and so you've, we've got to get out of this mindset to think church, Sunday, our, building, nice clothes. Like that, like that is not at all what the Bible means when the Bible uses the word church. It's the ecclesia. It's the, the called out ones, the ones who no longer follow the ways of the world, who are called out to follow a better way. Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so this is who Paul is writing to. They're three weeks old. (laughs) They didn't have a worship band. They didn't have a stage. They didn't have a building, right? They just gathered together. And that's that's what... the church is people gathering together. So again, we've got to break this mindset that building and 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 you know they didn't have a pastor. They were three weeks old. They were figuring it out as they went. I love I love too. If you can go back to verse one, I love I love the the languages to the church of the Thessalonians, not in the building, but what's their position in what in God? That's their position. That's their identity. I am positionally in God. That's our location. You want to know what our location is? We belong to God. We're of God. We're in God. We're found in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but when you were growing up, you heard Lord Jesus Christ, and you thought that was all his name, (laughs) right? And of those three words, Lord Jesus Christ, only one of those words is his name. And the other two are titles, right? Christ is not his last name, right? Um, so, so first, let's, let, Jesus is his name. Jesus is the name his mother gave him, Mary gave him, because that's what God said, name him Jesus. And so Mary gave him the name Jesus, Yeshua, right, in Hebrew. Um, that's his name. Lord is a title. And, 
And Lord means master. We can't skip over this. You hear the word Lord so many times, but, but um, I, I got to ask you, is Jesus your Lord? Because Lord means master, uh, ruler, and he is the Lord. Now, I've said this, I said it last week, I'll keep saying it. Jesus is a gentleman, and so he will let you decide if, he, if you're going to let him be the Lord in your life, right? He is the Lord, but just because, listen, he is the Lord doesn't mean he's your Lord. You've got to decide, right? You've got to decide if you believe and accept the title that he has. I, I tell our staff all the time, I want you to call me most excellent. Most excellent Joe. That's what I want you to call me. Uh, that's the title that I want. And, and Deb's response is, I'll call you most doofus, most excellent doofus. Um, and, and so I can, I can pick a title I want for me, but unless the subjects receive that and believe that and live like that, it doesn't matter. This is the title that he is and has. But unless the subjects believe that and receive that, it doesn't matter. See, every day you've got to get up and decide who's going to be Lord today. And I don't know about you. My tendency is I like to be Lord. I like to be Lord of my own life and control, do what I think's best, think through my thing, right? And it's so easy, friends, is it not, to go through your day being Lord and, and, and what I've found, and I know some of you have found this too, is I make a lousy Lord. Some of you have really discovered this. You've played Lord of your life until your life crashed and burned, until you hit rock bottom, and you got no place to go except to look up to the actual Lord and say, help me, right? And he'll let you do that. He'll let you do that. Somebody once said, God's plan A is always humility. You choose Humble yourself and receive him as Lord. His plan B is humiliation. Let you just come to the end of yourself. So you got no other place to go except to look up and make him the Lord. And so the old saying I think is true. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And you've got to decide every day. It's not a one-time one decision, right? It's not like... It's not like last week at Easter we gave an invitation. If you want Jesus Christ to come into your life to save you because you can't save your that is a one-time decision. You say yes to Jesus. Now Jesus is in your life, and now you wake up with him tomorrow, and you've got to decide Monday morning who's going to be Lord. And then you have lunch, and Monday afternoon you're going to go into that meeting, and you've got to decide who's going to be Lord. It's a decision you make every day, daily. Who is Lord? And it's you surrendering. Choosing God's plan A, humility, because you know God is waiting in the wings with plan B. In the time being, he's going to let you choose. There will come a day, it says in Philippians, there will come a day where everybody will know Jesus is Lord. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it says. So that day will come, but for now, God's like, you guys choose. You guys choose. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, that, that Greek word Christos, comes from the Hebrew word Mishiach, which is the Hebrew word for Messiah. It's the same word. Hebrew word Messiah, Greek word Christ. It means the same. Savior, 
deliverer, the chosen one, right? That's who Jesus is. He is the Lord who is the Savior Messiah, and his name is Jesus. And so um, he says to you, grace and peace, grace and peace. Let's talk about these words real quick. Words have meaning. We've got to talk about words. Grace to you and peace. Grace, definition of grace is this, God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited, undeserved favor, grace. You don't deserve it. Grace. And then peace. Um, shalom. Actually, this, this grace and peace, you see it a lot in the Bible. As in the beginning of the letter, it was a, it was a term of greeting. It was the, uh, their way of saying hello, right? We say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? What's up? Um, they said grace and peace. Grace is the Greek word. Grace is how the Greeks said hello to each other. They'd go up to each other and say grace, grace. And it was their way of saying hello. And the Jews would go up to each other and say shalom, peace, brother. It was their greeting of saying hello. It was more than just a greeting. These are deep, rich theological words that we could spend a week on just on these words themselves. I think the order is important. The order is always grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. You know why? Because if you don't first receive the grace of God, you will never truly experience the peace of God. It first starts with receiving the grace of God. Understanding it's unmerited favor, God gave me grace, and then when you receive God's grace, now you can walk in peace with God. Apart from God's grace, you live in tension with God. Our sin puts us in constant conflict with God. And so you, you want to experience shalom in your life? You want shalom in the home? It starts with understanding the grace of God and learning to live in that grace. And when you receive that grace and you live in the grace, then the peace comes. He goes on and he says in verse 2, um, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. Like, these guys were on Paul's heart. I, I can't stop thinking about you. And when I think about you, I pray for you, right? As a matter of fact, um, if you can jump back to this, this screen here, uh, what ends up happening, you'll see this when we get to, when we get to chapter 3, Paul gets run out of town, goes to Berea, comes down here to Athens. He's in Athens, and he sends Timothy back up. And he says, Timothy, I need you to go check out how the Thessalonians are doing. Like, I, I don't feel good how we left. I don't know how they're doing. He sends them up. Timothy goes up. Paul moves over to Corinth. Timothy comes back, gives him the report. And Paul's like, oh, yes. You can read about it. It's in Thessalonians. He talks about the report that Timothy brings. And then he writes them the letter back, right? The idea is this. They were on his mind. This wasn't like some, some community service project. He's checking off a box. All right, I went to Thessalonians. I told them about Jesus. I'm going to Berea. I'm telling. Like, these people are in his heart. It's like, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying about you. It's going to, his heart's going to come out all through this letter. Later on, um, he talks about how we were, ten, he says, we were tender among you like a nursing mother with her baby. That's how we treat. Then he talks about being like a father. We were like a father when we were with you. 
right? He had a heart for people, which is an encouragement and I think a challenge to us. Um, I remember the, there's something about when you do ministry and you do mission that people get in your heart and your mind. I remember the, the first um, missions trip I ever went on, 1995, went to Budapest, Hungary. We worked with these inner city kids. And, um, and I, st- I, c- I can still, this 27 years ago, I can still picture their faces, right? Because like we were there for eight days and every day we were up and in the city and working with these kids. And, like, and there's something about when you are sharing the gospel and you're there and you're loving and you're caring. And you're like, those people get in your heart and your mind. There's some people you want to forget in life. But Paul, Paul says here, you guys, are, you're constantly in my prayers. You're, const- you're on my mind. You're in my heart. And so, um, well, we'll talk about love in a minute because love comes up next. next look, look at the next verse. Next verse says this, verse 3. We recall in the presence of God our Father your work produced by faith and your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So did you, uh, did you notice the, the three beautiful cousins of the New Testament there? Did you see the triad? Faith, hope, and love. First time it shows up in the Bible is here. This letter... Um, Scholars go back and forth as to which one of Paul's 13 letters he wrote is the first. It's either Galatians or this one. Either one was written around 50 AD, right? So, um, so this, but this is the first mention of this triad of faith, hope, and love. And, um, and it, the, the, these, these Christian virtues, these Christian character traits, faith, hope, and love, that seem like they're just inner things, seem like they're private things, but according to Paul, they're actually very public things. They actually have an outside showing. And, and so I want to, and we're going to end with this. Um, and so it's, and I found a new font. So let's, let's, let's try this, okay? So it's work produced by faith. Ah, isn't that cool? All right, takes my chicken scratch and makes it legible. And it's labor motivated by love. And then it's endurance inspired by hope. That's so cool. All right. <laughs> um, and so, and so here, here, here we have these, these three these three beautiful cousins of the New Testament, right? Faith, hope, and love. But there's other words attached to it. Um, and, and Paul says that I, I, I'm hearing about your work that is coming from faith. Um, make sure you get the order right, right? Um, you don't work. We talked about this last week at Easter. You don't work to earn God's love. You don't work to re- receive faith. But listen, once you truly have faith in Jesus, then works should start showing up because now Jesus is in you and Jesus should come through you. So your faith actually produces works. This is what the whole book of James is about, is that real faith produces real works. And then James says this, if there's no works, 
There's a chance that there's not real faith. It's a dead faith. It's not a real faith, right? And so this is what Paul's talking about. And then he says that your, your labor is coming from love. This word for labor, it's an interesting um, Greek word for labor. Let me read it to you. It says this, to engage in activity that is burdensome. Like how many of you all know the Christian life is not always easy? It, it, it's, it feels like labor. It's hard. It's, it, it is hard work. Here's the beauty. God says, I'll work with you. Don't try it all on your own. I'm going to give you a helper. The Holy Spirit in you will help make you holy. But it's hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And so um, following Jesus is a challenge in today's hostile world. But here's, here's what he says. It's labor that's coming from a place of love. Anyone want to take a guess what word for love? There's three Greek words for love. It's this one. It is the word agape, right? That unconditional love. Love is a, love is a, a great motivator for, for labor, isn't it? For action. Um, love will make you do things, won't it? Love will make you do things. Conversely, uh, if... If, if you're not really motivated to live out your Christian life, to serve others, to help others, to be a part of the mission, to kind of actively serve here, volunteer here, like if there's no desire for labor, it might look like a schedule issue, a busyness issue, a laziness issue, a passion issue. The scriptures say it might just be a love issue. Because when you love... There's labor that comes with that. And if there's no labor, it's because there's no agape. There's no, there's no unconditional love. And then he says that you're going to have endurance that comes through hope. Hope of Jesus Christ. And he's going to talk again all through Thessalonians about Jesus is coming back. And that's a good thing. It's not a thing to be afraid of. It's not a thing that we go into like, oh, it's a nerd. No, no. All throughout the book, it's a thing of encouragement. It's a thing of joy. It's a thing of celebration. It gives you hope. Hope not like, oh, I hope, but like, like confident, secure that this is going to happen. And so because this is not my home and I know Jesus is coming back, I can endure all the garbage that's going on here because I know there's a better plan that's coming at the end. As a matter of fact, when you think about these three words, faith, love, hope, work that comes from faith, that comes when you stop and you think about it, faith in what? This is really faith in God. When you, when you have a labor that is coming from love, this is really love for people. And when you can endure things because of the hope that you have, this is hope in Jesus, right? And so there's, there's a, a people that are attached to all of these things. And then another cool way to think about this, and let me have the worship team come as we'll, we'll wrap up, is this. Faith, real faith produces works. Faith in what? Faith in God. Faith in what? Faith in everything God has done, right? Is it faith? The Christian faith is not a blind leap of faith. It is, it is looking back at who God is and what he's done, having confidence in his word, his character, his nature. Whoa, wait, wait. 
I'll slide it over. I'll slide it over. You, you guys get ready. Um, so this is, this, is, this, is the, this is in the past, right? Your faith is anchored to what God has done in the past. Think about this. Your labor of love for people is when? Is when? Right now is in the present, right? This should be right now in the present. This world needs it. This world needs Christians laboring because they love. And then you have endurance in a future hope that Jesus is coming back. So you have people attached to these things. You have the past. You have the present. You have the future here. And Paul says, live this way. You have these this triad, these three beautiful things of the New Testament and live this way. And so church, my prayer is that these things as we go through Thessalonians would mark next community church. That you and I would humble ourselves. Let Jesus be the Lord. That we would be the kind of church that the Bible describes, not that America portrays, not even, this is going to be a challenge for some of us, not even that you grew up in, not even that I grew up in. Let's just let this describe what kind of church we should be and what it means to be the church. Here we have this young, three-week-old church. Now, to be fair, this is probably anywhere from six to 12 months later that Paul's writing a letter. So at most, they're a year old that he's writing to them about these things. And um, my prayer is that we would be this kind of church. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and to bow your heads. And would you just consecrate right now this journey, these next five months? Would you say, God, shape me with your word. Let this book shape me. Let First Thessalonians shape what kind of church we're going to be and I'm going to.